Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can catch this show on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and Google Play. Everybody, go check out the new novel written by yours truly, available on Amazon.com, Exodus 2035. Exodus 2035, available on Amazon.com available now everybody let's go support that let's let's push that up to number one i'm not hitting your pockets too hard it's at a reasonable price go to amazon.com check that out leave me a review this is a novel this is a fictional story but i believe everybody will be entertained you might learn something i wrote the novel purposely to entertain and to spark a conversation so everybody go check that out. My previous work, Hypocrisy in, Amer- in America, The Veil of White Supremacy, is also available on Amazon.com. Welcome back to the broadcast family. Been a while, took a little hiatus. I'm going to be, be real with you guys. I've just been extremely busy, man. I have been extremely busy. Haven't had a chance to record like I want to. I'm going to try to be better at that in the future be a little bit more consistent but hey man you know i got a life too (laughs) i've been running around doing all sorts of things working all types of long crazy hours six seven days a week so i've just been busy but i can't stay away too long i love coming here sharing my thoughts views and opinions with you guys let's get right into the broadcast the smithsonian magazine tweeted out a plan monument announced by mayor bill de blagio's office earlier this month is set to honor a prominent african-american family that once lived in the bustling community of seneca village this is in new york city all right here's an article from newsone.com the legacy of a historic black community that once resided in the epicenter of New York City will be memorialized. According to the Smithsonian, a new monument will capture the history of Seneca Village, the 19th century village, which was cultivated in 1825, was one of the state's first free black communities. It spanned from West 83rd Street to 89th Street, which is now Central Park. In the 1850s, the village had over 225 residents and African-Americans made up two thirds of the population. Many of the properties that were part of the village were black owned. The creation of Central Park ultimately led to the erasure. (laughs) Basically, it led to the destruction of the community. And the displacement of, of his residents. My goodness, I can't read that, guys. Please forgive me. Individuals living in Seneca Village were forced to leave in 1857. So if you're not from the New York City area, maybe you never heard of Seneca Village back in the 1850s, where present day Central Park is now. There was a black community there called Seneca Village. It was a community that was, as, as I just read, by and large, all the property, all, all the homes, the businesses, they were owned by black people in 1857. They <laughs> told all the black people, y'all got to get out of here. And they turned that property into what is now Central Park. This is not a secret. This is not a mystery. This is something that's well known, something that's well documented. And the Smithsonian is going to put a memorial up 
to honor that community in New York City. So, you know, black people, we get our own thing going. We get our own community going. We build and we live in amongst ourselves. And somebody decides, you know what, we're going to put a park here. All you Negroes, y'all got to go somewhere else. <laughs> knock down the houses, knock down the businesses, bulldoze it, <laughs> and throw up a park. This is America. What can I say? All right. Today's broadcast is something I've been working on for a while now. I've actually had it in the in the back of my mind that I wanted to do a broadcast on this. It's something that it's a topic that was brought to my attention within the past four or five years. Like I said, I don't know everything. I know what I know. I'm willing to share what I know. I'm not an expert. So a lot of things, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. The topic of today's show is environmental racism. What is it? How does it work? Have you ever heard this term before? Well, let's break it down. Let's get into it. What happened here? When I was a young man, this was all houses. As far as you could see, this was houses. So all these trees were in somebody's front yard. There was a, a toxic goo <laughs> that they called orange sludge. Mm -hmm. It started just like boiling up into the basements of these houses. And um, they condemned the land and they bought out all of the, the homes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they bulldozed all the homes and then they turned this into a park to bring your families and bring your children. All of that toxic waste is still under this ground right here. They didn't do anything to clean up the, the waste that's underneath here. All they did was smoothed over the surface and planted some grass and made it look pretty. And it's not just about environment. It's about racism and environmental genocide. Mm. racial injustice, we think police brutality or the criminal justice system. But what about our air and water? Environmental racism. It's about policies and practices that discriminate against communities of color by making them live near landfills, sewage plants, and other polluting facilities. And while poverty has a lot to do with it, the leading environmental justice expert told me this. Racism trumps class. Even middle-income African-Americans are more likely to live in more polluted neighborhoods. In fact, one study found that black Americans making fifty dollars to $60,000 a year are more likely to live in polluted neighborhoods than white Americans who make just $10,000 a year. Flint, Michigan is a textbook case of environmental racism. It's where 100,000 residents have been poisoned with toxic water contaminated by high levels of lead. Why? Because the state was trying to save a buck. Flint is around 57% black, with 40% of its population living in poverty. Residents protested the dirty water for over a year, but were ignored. And that's how environmental racism plays out. Minority communities have much less political clout, so regulators can, and often do, ignore them. And not far from Flint is Detroit, where 83% of the population is black. It's home to the most polluted zip code in Michigan. Zip code is the most powerful predictor of health and all communities and all the zip codes are not created equal all right racism trump's class i do agree every time you know when it comes to america and how america operates i'm a firm believer that racism plays a role 
in everything. Racism plays a role in the system of America. Now, for many years, I've been aware of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. I've been aware of environmental activists, but not until recently did I hear of the term environmental racism, I believe maybe about four or five years ago. And when I first heard that term and how it worked, as the clip just explained, explained uh, the first clip I played brought to you by Vice News, uh, the following clip brought to you by AJ plus AJ plus on YouTube. Very good work. AJ plus keep, keep it up. <laughs> but when I first heard how it worked as the clip just explained, it was like, man, a light bulb went off in my head and it just made perfect sense because never had I really put the two together. Right? Like, I've seen environmental activists. I've, I've seen um, people get together. What, what they call tree huggers. People get together and they're really serious about the environment and they're really passionate about pollution. And let's just keep it real. The groups I've observed, by and large, is mostly white people, by and large. But I've never once heard them talk about racism and, and racism being a factor in pollution or racism, you know, playing into how communities are targeted or how pollution and and the destruction of the environment how racism plays a role in that i've never heard him talk about racism so when i became aware of the term environmental racism it's like a light bulb went on my head i was thinking wow this makes perfect sense and i thought to myself okay thinking once again thinking think for yourself america for decades has had a pollution issue and the thing about land and your environment is really the only one thing they can't make more of. So the pollution and the waste, it has to go somewhere, right? They they, they tell us that there's over, what, 300 million uh, documented people living in, in America. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of waste. So where's the waste going to go? I'm a firm believer that it's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. That areas highly populated, <clears throat> pardon me, guys, by non-white people will be targeted for pollution, will be targeted for dumping grounds, will be targeted for toxic waste. It's not a coincidence. Situations like Flint, Michigan, Cancer Alley down in Louisiana. Uh, the first clip, the, the Native American gentleman that was talking about how, you know, their land was was polluted and, you know, this, this toxic waste that started bubbling up in, in the basements and they just bulldozed all the houses and planted some grass and turned into a public park. Right? It's not a coincidence that we hear these stories time and time and time again. And the the reality of the situation is predominantly non-white communities have been targeted for a very long time is dumping grounds for pollution dumping grounds for toxic for toxic waste right um areas with high concentrations where a lot of people that just mysteriously getting cancer you know a lot of people are, are, are mysteriously you know suffering from unknown radiation unknown well un, not unknown but um ailments from side effects of toxic waste or 
oil pollution, air pollution, it always has come back to just bite, bite, <laughs> bite black people in the ass, really, to be honest with you. You know, the system at work again, if we got to pollute a community, if we got to, you know, poison some people, if we got to kill them with this pollution, if we got to put this pollution somewhere, you know, where are all the Negroes? Flint, Michigan? All right, there you go. Down there between Baton Rouge and Louisiana? All right, there you go. <laughs> you know, this is nothing new. Um, it's not a coincidence that black children are twice as likely to get lead poisoning from unhealthy water. Man, this is disturbing. I found this article on NIH.gov, the National Institute of Health, their website. All right, I didn't pull this article up on blacklyblack.com. I didn't get, you know, soul. <laughs> I didn't get random soul brother on the internet. You know, I, I didn't get, I didn't make this up. This is from NIH.gov. The title reads Burden of Higher Lead Exposure in African Americans start in utero and persist into childhood. Recent public health led crises in urban areas emphasize the need to better understand exposure to environmental toxins, particularly in higher risk groups. Although African American children have the highest prevalence of elevate of elevated blood lead levels in the United States. Little is known about when this trajectory or disproportionate burden of lead exposure first emerges emerges. African American children have 2.2 times higher lead levels in the second and third trimesters and 1.9 times higher lead levels in the first year life compared to white children. Lead levels in African-American children were also higher during childhood, but this effect was only marginally significant, 0.066. Additionally, we observed that African-American children had lower tooth magnesium levels during the third trimester and potentially, however, these differences were conclusion. The disproportionate burden of lead exposure is vertically transmitted from mother to child. The contaminated water the mother is drinking is being passed on to the child. To African-American children before they are born and persistent into early childhood. Our results suggest that testing women for lead during pregnancy may be needed to identify the risk to the future offspring, particularly for African-American women. I will post the link to this article when I post the flyer to this show. You can follow me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. Again, this is from the NIH.gov. The federal government knows that black children are double the risk for lead poisoning. This isn't a secret. This is something that's been monitored. This is something that's been studied. This is something that's been well documented. Hell, if you just Google environmental racism, you'll get a ton of hits, a ton of articles 
from highly respected journalists and news organizations, even from the federal government, sites like the NIH.gov, NIH.gov. They're documenting this. They're studying this. They know what's going on. They know that this is a thing. They know that non-white people have been targeted for pollution. And I'll take it even farther. It goes bigger than the pollution that we talked about. It, I would even go as far to say the McDonald's, the Wendy's, the Popeye's chicken sandwich, the people out here killing them, being killed over the fast food, the junk, the liquor stores. Environmental racism as well. All right. Those are all tools of self-destruction. The things that we consume. I believe I did a I don't believe I know. I did a previous broadcast about healthy eating habits and let food be thy medicine and the things that we consume, how it affects not only our bodies, but our behavior. It's not a coincidence that you go into the black community it's fast food, restaurants and liquor stores everywhere. You go into other people's communities, you totally different look. You, you don't see it like that. You go into other communities, you see whole foods. You see sweet green. You see Panera bread. All right. You go to the hood where predominantly non-white people live. You see Wendy's. You see McDonald's. You see liquor stores. You, you see greasy, greasy chicken spots. You see greasy Asian carryouts. Unhealthy. And that just promotes unhealthy behavior physically and psychologically. I would go as far to put that in the eye and the environmental racism bucket as well because man it's it's playing right remember what i said at the beginning of this broadcast racism plays a part in everything especially when we come to the system and america and how america works racism plays a part in it i would suggest everybody go check out the book by james lowen sundown towns great book describing how black people were forced to live in certain areas by design which were later created into ghettos because during segregation you couldn't live anywhere so they heard you all into one spot so that that goes into shaping your environment okay we're going to make laws to herd you into one spot and once we get you within these city blocks all the poison all the all the toxins, all the things that are self-destructive, we're going to funnel all those there to destroy this group of people. Right. It's not a coincidence. But environmental racism. What do you think? Did you know about it? Were you aware? How do you feel about it? Reach out. Let me know. Reach out. Let me know. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Unprocessed underscore knowledge leave a comment hey if you got some more some more research something you'd like to share hey post it post it under, under the flyer post what you've discovered post your research post your thoughts let's get the conversation going let's take the conversation to instagram you guys hey don't be afraid to interact with one another don't be afraid to interact with me don't be afraid to reach out thanks everybody for supporting the broadcast quick one tonight I'm not going to stay away too, too long next time. But, hey, the support has been great. Everybody, please, to continue to support the show. Retweet, 
hit the like button, comment, tell a friend, check out my latest novel, Exodus 2035, available on Amazon.com. Leave a review. Let's get that trending. Let's take that up. And uh, you know what? It's on Amazon.com. I'm not out here trying to hustle. I'm not out here trying to scam anybody. I put a product out. Support the product if you like. And if you don't like, I understand. If you support the product and you don't like it, guess what? I put it on Amazon.com, so you can send it back. All right? Amazon's real real user-friendly when it comes to the refunds. I know. I'm just sending plenty of stuff back. Didn't have a problem getting my money. So, hey, <laughs> I'm not trying to scam you guys. If you purchase the book and you don't like it, send it back. But, hey, that has been another broadcast. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, I get it. The environment isn't a person. How can it be racist? But the most basic pieces of the environment, the air we breathe and the water we drink, are controlled and designed by people. And people can be racist. More than half of all people who live close to hazardous waste are people of color. Floodplains nationwide have high populations of blacks and Hispanics. Black children are twice as likely to suffer from lead poisoning as white children. This inequality is no accident. Pollution and the risk of disaster are assigned to black and brown communities through generations of discrimination and political neglect. Enslaved Africans were commodities partly because their work carried environmental risks that were unacceptable to whites, like exposure to heat, malaria, and mosquitoes. As Jim Crow laws created racial segregation, they also reinforced an environmental system that still disadvantages minorities. It's no wonder that black and Hispanic children have the highest rates of asthma, or that hurricanes like Katrina, Sandy, and Matthew did their worst damage in communities of color. Rich white neighborhoods can update their water pipes, but not places like Flint. The Jim Crow laws are dead and gone, but the fact that people of color are still more likely to die from environmental causes is no accident. 